Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I want to talk to you about the shift from moving from OCD treatment to living with OCD. And there is a big shift. It is a perception shift, a mindset shift, and like a behavioral shift in how you interact with your child's OCD, how your child interacts with their own OCD, and whether it will be good for their long-term success. And so this is kind of like a part two to last week's episode, episode 306, which was the messiness of OCD progress. I didn't write them as part one and part two, but I really feel like they are kind of together. I am actually recording them back to back. So I feel like I'm having an ongoing discussion about this because how we approach OCD and how we teach our kids to approach OCD is huge. And it can be a game changer or it can create ripples in in the ongoing progress. So we're going to dive into all of that. I'm going to talk to you about how we move from the treatment-oriented mentality to the living with OCD mentality. And it's a progression. And we'll talk all about what that looks like in a second. But first, I want to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy, and they're available in the US and outside of the US. And you can schedule your free 15 minute consultation to see if NoCD is a right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com. There is a link in the show notes. Don't forget to circle back. If you haven't tried to reach out in a while, because they're always adding new states and countries and insurances. And so I always tell people to circle back if it's been a little while. I also want to mention that I have created four OCD workshops for parents. It's a new thing in my online school. And so you can check that out as well. I have workshops on how OCD will sabotage success. I have a workshop on actually how to create a therapeutic home environment, which we're going to be talking about today. And so if you want a deeper dive, that'd be a fantastic workshop to check out. I have one on OCD in the school environment. So if your child's struggling and the OCD is kind of rippling into the educational environment, that would be a great workshop for you. And I have the last one is about the sneaky ways that OCD gets us to accommodate and grow it. And so you can bundle all four workshops and get them all for a very low price. Each workshop in by themselves is $25 and then I have a great bundle price. And so you can check that out at natashadaniels.com slash workshops to see all of those. For this topic, I think the one on therapeutic home environment is particularly on point. And so let's dive into that. So when your child gets diagnosed, you're very much, you know, burdened with treatment stuff. I need to find a psychiatrist. I need to find a therapist. I need to find the appropriate treatment. I need to learn how to, you know, deal with this. And it kind of reminds me of when my daughter was diagnosed with celiac disease. It was so overwhelming at first. It just felt like there was so much to know and so much I didn't know. And I remember just being like so, and I'm an anxious person. If you listen to me at all, you know, like genetics are are a bitch. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I'm very anxious. I, ha- I I'm living with my anxiety. And so we do a dance very similar to, you know, someone who's living with OCD. And we'll talk about that as we're progressing. And so anxiety doesn't have me. I just happen to have anxiety, but 
that day that she was diagnosed because it was a very insensitive doctor who didn't really help me and was like, just like, oh yeah, she has celiac, not realizing the ripple effects that I could see, you know, how it's going to impact her life. And I remember like being overwhelmed and being like, I don't know what to feed her. Like, I don't know. I cannot feed my child because like I don't even, and it seems ridiculous now, but, or maybe not to some people, but I had to relearn, you know, what to feed her. And I made a big deal about it because it was overwhelming. And it's the same when you get a diagnosis of OCD. It's like, you don't know how to help your child. Everything intuitively that you want to do to help is the wrong thing a lot of times with OCD because OCD is very counterintuitive. And so it you can it could be debilitating and it can be paralyzing. And then fast forward, I'm trying to think how old my daughter was when she was diagnosed. I don't remember now. Let's see, she's 11 right now. I think she was seven or eight, maybe six. She was pretty young. And so it's been a while. And now we're living with celiac. I mean, we're living with OCD too, but for some reason, I don't know. That didn't overwhelm me as much because it was it was a slow progression and I was like waiting for it. I had a, an eye on it because it's so just genetically rampant in my family that, and it's what I do, right? So if I was like a dietitian, celiac probably wouldn't have overwhelmed me. And if you're not an OCD therapist, OCD is going to overwhelm you. But now we're, we're killing it with the celiac. You know, we don't think twice about it. We're living with it. We have like a, a code system. We take blue tape and, um, and it's all stuff that I read online, but you know, we take blue tape and we, we put it around things that like butter that we don't want people to use, you know, their their knives when they're buttering toast. I don't want them to use that particular butter. And so anything that's gluten-free and no bread or wheat should touch it. We just use blue tape, blue painter tape. And I have apps on my phone to scan food. I have Find Me GF, Find Me Gluten-Free, which is an app. And I've been able to find gluten-free restaurants in Venice in London. I found gluten-free fish and chips in London. I found ice cream cones and ice cream in Venice that were gluten-free. Okay. I know this isn't about (laughs) gluten-free, but my point is it's just part of what we do, you know, and I want to help you see that it's the same thing for OCD. It's overwhelming at first, but then how do we shift from a cure mentality of, I need to cure this. It's a cold and we need to eradicate it to a maintenance mentality of, okay, this is something we're going to have to maintain for the rest of our lives. It's not like doom and gloom, a death sentence. It's just a shift. Just like celiac, it was like, I'm not going to be able to get rid of celiac, but we are going to maintain it. And so now her levels are great. Um, She still has stomach issues for some reason, but her levels are great and we're in maintenance. And so what does that look like and how do you do it? Because we want to move from a victim mentality and a disease mentality to a skill-based mentality, moving away from the victim aspect of it and the strength mentality. And so one of the ways that I do that with kids when I would see kids in my practice is before I dived into anything, I would talk to them about the superpowers of anxiety or OCD. And I really felt like how we frame anxiety or OCD is really important because we're creating a foundation of how they view their mental health. And we don't want kids to think there's something wrong with them. They might already think that. And it's not sugarcoating, but it's looking at the other side of the coin. And so I often would start my therapy sessions with talking about what OCD is. And I would say, 
People who have OCD often have these traits, these personality traits that come with it that are amazing. Like they're out of the box thinkers. They can be really creative. They can be very kind hearted. They notice fine details. They can come up with solutions that other people don't have. Um, They're often very intelligent. And so understanding these superpowers, like that's a component of who you are. And it's funny, it's not really funny, haha, but my son and I, I feel like we have these like weird conversations all the time, but my son and I were having an issue last night. <laughs> it's a stupid issue. We were on a Zoom call with my husband's sister and her husband and her daughter. And my son was like, just, he was acting out and he was like really hyper and he was doing all these things. And anyway, he has this whole thing about how he can't change and he can't stop these things. So after we got off, I was very harsh with him. I was like, that behavior was not okay. And da, 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 you know. And it kind of got into this long discussion about, because he moves into, let me back up. He moves into his moral OCD starts to pipe up. So, and I'm sure a lot of you can totally relate to this, that when you have kids with moral OCD themes, when you parent them or you give them structural criticism or you redirect them, then it's kind of like, I can't do anything right. I'm a horrible person. I'm so bad. And that can be a child just with low self-esteem in general, but with moral OCD, it's like, it's more intense. And so he kind of moved into that when I was telling him like, you can't act like that. And that's not okay. You know, I was just doing my typical parenting approach. Well, it wasn't very intentional. I was just like ranting, but because he was responding in that way, we wound up having this really deep conversation where I was like, and I was naming all the different people, you know, in our family genetically who struggle with this anxiety or OCD. And you know, my dad who is bipolar and these different relatives and how I'm trying to give him the tools to handle those things. I'm trying to think of the right word. And then he, I could tell he started to get down about like, oh my gosh, she just listed all these people in our family who struggle. And that makes me feel bad. And I know we have all these things. And I said, you know what? I go, all of those people also have amazing qualities. And I started to list all the amazing qualities. We were talking about the men in our families, men in both families. And, and then I started to list all the amazing qualities that all of these people had. And, and I said, and you are an incredibly out-of-the-box thinker. You know, my father, who was bipolar, he invented something that was pretty cool. He sold the invention, and so his name's not on anything. <laughs> but you know, he was, when he was in a manic phase, he was very creative and, you know, had quite a few things invented and and one of them patented and then sold the patent. So, you know, he needed the money, but whatever. And so I was telling my son this, he started to get more inspired and he's like, yeah, I'm, I am creative and I am, you know, and I said, so we want to keep all that good stuff, but I want to teach you how to manage the other stuff. And if I can't coach you and if I can't offer you some boundaries and help you. Cause we weren't just talking about OCD. We we're talking about just like self-regulation, mood instability, that kind of stuff. And the minute I do that, you want to just jump into how you're a horrible person. That's a component of giving up and not caring. And we want all those excellent things to come to the surface. And we want to teach you how to handle the other stuff. And so it, it wound up being a very productive conversation. But my point is that highlighting you know, and reframing things as strength-based and their superpowers is really important. And it's not a one and done. I We talked about that a long time ago, but I find that I have to kind of build him up again. And it's not an accommodation because it's the way I'm building him up is more trying to empower him 
to say, I, and I said to him last night, I said, you know, you can, I think, let me back up again. I think part of this is my trigger because I'm really worried about self-harm, even though he's only done like some superficial stuff when he was like having activation syndrome and we haven't had too many issues since then, but because of my father's history of suicidal ideation and, and suicide attempts, I think that that's a trigger for me. And so I said to him, you know, I can't control if I am trying to help you. And then you say, you're right. I'm a horrible person. I can't do this. Cause that's not what I'm saying. I said, that's part of your skill is how to take what someone's saying to you and then not turn it inward at yourself. Cause that's another component that, you know, would be great to work on. And so being aware of how your child's, you know, hearing the OCD issues and hearing the OCD diagnosis and working on it is really important and checking in with that and not just, you know, spoon feeding optimism, but getting them to see that they can say these things to themselves. You can't control that because ultimately it's a conversation internally between them and them, but it's not going to serve them well and what can serve them well. And so I think that that is a, an important conversation. And so we also want our kids to understand that they're building skills for long-term success. And so I will often in my, when I was doing therapy and I say when I was doing therapy, because I, once my husband passed away, I stopped doing therapy and I just work for you guys now doing global resources. But when I did do therapy, I would always tell kids, I would give them a skill and then I would relate it to how this was going to help them long-term. And I'd say, now, you know, a lot of OCD themes. And so if a new theme pops up when you're 20 or 30 or 40, you'll be like, oh, I know that that's an OCD theme. That's an intrusive thought or feeling. And I have to do this or avoid this to get some brief relief. And even though it's not the same theme that I had when I was 12, that is OCD as well. And I know what to do with it because my therapist taught me or my mom and dad taught me. And so I would always link it. I would say, I'm teaching you this. And even though you may not need this right now, this is something that you can use when you're an adult. Or if they really got a skill or they were doing exposures and they started to create their own schedule, I'd say, I love that you're doing that because you don't need a therapist per se. Yeah, I mean, a tune-up could be really helpful or if you hit a really big bump, but my goal is to teach you the skills to be able to help yourself at any age because OCD will continue to try to get in. You know, it, it doesn't just permanently go away. It's like a little annoying gnat and sometimes it grows into like a really big, you know, bumblebee and then you have to squash it back down to be a little annoying gnat so that it doesn't bother you. And all these skills that you're learning are going to help you with that. So helping our kids realize that one, they have to learn the skills. It's not our deal. As much as we would love to take this from them, we cannot. I often say that OCD is an intimate relationship between the child or the teenager and themselves. And so I'll say to my kids, you and OCD are having private conversations I'm not privy to, and I can't be privy to that. That's between you and OCD. So what you want to tell me doesn't really matter because OCD will know what's going on. And you'll know what's going on with OCD. You guys have this relationship and it's private. And it's good for us as parents to realize that too. You're not in that relationship. You will never be fully in that relationship. So you will never know what's fully going on. And that's why teaching our kids that they are, you know, they're the ones steering the wheel. They're the ones that are, this is their journey and that we're just here to support them. But there's, even if we wanted to, we cannot do this for them. And so getting them to own it and then getting them to see that this is a long-term thing, you know, and, and you can do that without lecturing 
And you can do that by saying things like, it's so great, great that you're able to develop your own exposures because this will really help when you are in your 20s or 30s or 40s and you know OCDs come knocking and you have to do some exposures to kind of squash it back down. You'll know how to create them. A comment like that is inadvertently conveying a couple of things. It's conveying that OCD is going to come back possibly, probably, and that you've got the skills to handle it and that you need to keep an eye out for OCD without ever having to say it. And so we want to convey these messages to our kids. It's really helpful. So after the break, I want to talk about how do we do this on a daily basis to live with OCD. I talked about how we live with celiac. You know, we use the blue tape and I've got this gluten-free, fine gluten-free app. I actually also have an app on my phone that scans barcodes and it will tell me if there's gluten in it. It's really helpful. I'll have to find out what it's called before when we come back from the break so that for those of you that are like, wait, I want to know what that is. I'll just let you know. But those apps, you know, and the blue tape, that's how we live with it. When we go traveling, I spend a lot of time finding restaurants and stuff so that she doesn't really feel impacted because I'll just be like, oh, we're going to go to this place. And I already know their menu. I already looked at it. I already know they have gluten-free food. It's just how we live now. Um, So very rarely does she even have to think about it. And I want to talk to you about how do we do that with OCD. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. It's time we put help directly in our kids' hands. Introducing Crushing OCD Course for Kids and Teens. It was way more helpful than all the other therapy we've ever done because we didn't really know what to do. So we weren't really doing it before. So the course helped to figure out what the exposures are and how to do them. We're not in therapy and find it really hard um, to find an ERP trained therapist here. Um, So we're currently with like the public health service, but again, they don't seem to be trained in ERP. It's filled that gap that we don't have that was desperately needed. This was really well timed for us to use between therapists and to help us like start get off to a good start with this new practice. It was easy to use. Um, I was able to do it from my phone or also on the computer. There's different ages, you know, so there were younger kids, there were teenagers. And um, so that was really nice too to have a variety of ages where it wasn't just geared towards younger kids or older kids. It was a nice variety. It's helpful for our kids to hear it from this like third party as opposed to just us saying it. I really like the offense and defense method. I love working on poking at OCD while it's sleeping. It makes it a little bit easier to do and it's kind of fun. (laughs) I'm planning on using it to work on my uh, fear of like holding or touching batteries and stuff like that. So it was really helpful and I think a lot of other kids would like it. I thought that I was like the only one who had worrying about the weather and stuff. And then there was somebody else on there who worried about the same thing, which was really helpful. Seems less scary to work on stuff now that I've watched this class and I'm more interested to work on it. I like trying to do more exposures still and going to, before I wasn't, I just didn't want to do them. I've worked on some of my bigger compulsions and been successful. I realized it was helpful to do like the exposures before it was like really, really hard. It's still hard, but it's helpful to know that I need to do them. Before there would be a lot of battles about it. So it is definitely less loggerheads. Really, really good course and super helpful. Definitely would recommend this. It's really easy to follow. It's in nice bite-sized videos. I really like the worksheets that go along with it, and I think it's really helpful. 
To learn more about this course and register your child or teen, go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com. Okay, welcome back. On the break, I went and I grabbed my phone. And so the other one, just for those of you that happen to have kids with celiac, is called GF Scanner. I don't know why the app says GF Full. Maybe I like bought the full edition, but GF Scanner, it's an app on my iPhone. And then Find Me GF is another app. So Find Me GF finds restaurants and different things globally. It's amazing. And then the GF Scanner is really cool because although I do feel like it only works in the United States, but I can scan barcodes and it will tell me if there's like any gluten in it, which you have to take it with a grain of salt. But for me, it's really, really helpful. So what about OCD? <laughs> You're like, get back to the OCD, Natasha. There's a lot of things that we do at my house to create a therapeutic home environment. You can take the workshop and really dive deep on this topic, but I'm going to just highlight a couple of those. We make it part of our daily routine. And so honestly, I don't think there's a day that goes by that OCD doesn't come up in our conversations. And I, it's not purposeful. It's just when I'm raising two kids, my daughter, my third child is off in college. And so it's just me and my two kids and they both have OCD and, and completely different themes. And it just pops up naturally often. And so we don't, we don't walk on eggshells. So having an open discussion about it, that's casual. And that is part of your discussion can be helpful. Sometimes there's barriers to that. And some of the barriers are your child's not willing or wanting to talk about OCD. And so you have to work on what that's about. What's the barrier? A lot of times it's shame. Sometimes it's it, they feel embarrassed, which is part of the shame. Sometimes they feel like you're going to make them work on it. And so it's pulling back who's owning this and who's not owning this. And so it can take time to develop a an environment where there's this casual conversation about OCD. When when kids want to keep it private, you know, I don't want to tell like my sister about it or I don't want dad to know. That that's not conducive to having that open communication. And that's why I really don't recommend if possible having it doesn't mean that themes can't be private, but it is really helpful for people to be able to openly talk about OCD in the house. And so that's living with OCD. Like if I couldn't talk about gluten, and I know it's totally different, but that would be very hard for me to explain why there's blue tape, you know, or why she's not eating certain things. There's a, it's almost built in shame because if I have OCD and you don't know why I just throw the towels on the floor and I can't pick them back up and everyone thinks I'm annoying or lazy and it's because it's contaminated and I can't touch it it can really help if everybody in the family understands that. And so I know that is tricky and I have done podcast episodes on like building communication and talking about OCD. And so you can Google that on my website at natashadaniels.com. Love that. So much easier to say than my other URL. But um, that's the first step. And that might take some time. It may not happen overnight. Another one is how do you incorporate it into your family system? And so we do a couple of things and you might've heard me talk about this before, but like we have a behavior plan. And, and so I use a chore app. I've talked about this a lot before with people in my community. You probably have heard me talk about it before maybe, but I use a trivial, I use a chore app called privilege points, but you can use really anything. And there are ERP apps out there as well. I just like privilege points. Cause it's just, it's easy to use. My kids can have it on their iPads. And, and so we have a built-in program that when they are having an issue with OCD, they can earn points 
and my kids are at an age right now that they just want points to equal cash. And then we have a thing called needs and wants. And so they can get their needs, but if it's a want, then they have to use their points for it. And so I've kind of basically monetized ERP. And ERP, for those of you that are brand new, is exposure response prevention, which is an evidence-based approach for OCD. And we do ERP at home where kids do exposures, which is small ex- you know, steps that trigger your OCD on purpose without doing the compulsion so you can sit with the discomfort. And we want to do that on a daily basis. And so sometimes I'll give you an example. We were, I don't know if I talked about this last episode, not last episode, but it might've been two episodes ago, but my uncle was in town and he wanted to see the Grand Canyon. And I scheduled this helicopter ride and both my kids were completely anxious about it, which is normal. I think even an average person might be you know, anxious about going on a helicopter, definitely nerve wracking. And I was anxious about it. I, and we were all anxious about it for different reasons. I think I think both of them were anxious about dying. I don't really care about death anymore. I don't know. I know that's weird. I just have this huge acceptance after what happened to us, but I didn't want to get sick. (laughs) It just sounds so stupid, but I have a history of metaphobia and my stomach is very sensitive. And so the fear that it can make me motion sickness or have motion sickness was really scary for me. So all three of us were, and then my uncle was very anxious about going too. So all four of us were anxious. It's part of what we do. It's like, we have conversations about it. And so it was like, I know we have language in how we talk about these things. And so part of that language is what's the scariest part of going on a helicopter, right? So I'm looking for the core fear. And my kids are used to answering these questions to the point where they ask themselves these things when they are having a struggle. And these are these are skills that I'm building in them so that when they are overwhelmed, they automatically start doing these things. So that's what we talked about. What's this, what's the scariest part about going on a helicopter? And my daughter said dying, you know, and my son said, I don't know if he said the heights, he's afraid of heights. But then when we talked about heights, it was like, well, then he was worried he was going to fall into the Grand Canyon. And instead of like taking that away from them, part of living with OCD is validating it first. Yeah, I get, and this is actually wasn't OCD just to back up. I'm using an example that was more anxiety-based. I'll think of an OCD one as well. But this one was just just happened. And so I'm just using this as an example. But um, we were able to say, it's normal to feel anxious about this, right? And not want anxiety or OCD to take this from you and rob you of this experience that's going to be super cool and a once in a lifetime opportunity. And so once we get going, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. But Doing it can feel really scary and that's okay. And so we had language for it. A lot of times when we go on trips, we will have kind of like a team powwow session. (laughs) Sounds so weird. I think we've gotten weirder since my husband passed away because he probably would rein me in a little bit. (laughs) Maybe not. I mean, I think we did, we, we would, even when my husband was alive, we would set goals, but they were more like behavioral goals some of the time. Because when we would go on trips, we would like do a point system for them to behave and not bicker with each other. And then they would earn points. And then at the end, depending on how many points they have, they could, they would earn money to buy like a souvenir. But then since he's died, it's gotten weirder. Cause I think he would, he would rein me in a little bit on this therapy stuff, (laughs) but now, and it's just the three amigos, you know, that's my daughter from college is coming as well. And so I feel like we're like a tight, tight knit group here. 
there's like a lizard on my window. (laughs) I was like, what is that? And there's like a lizard climbing on my window. Welcome to Arizona. So now when we go on trips and we do travel a lot because that's just been a big goal since my husband passed away is to live life and not wait for my kids to leave the house and me to be alone um, and me to retire in order to travel. And so we're just living our life as we go. So we travel a lot and it triggers their OCD a lot. And we've gotten to the rhythm where before we go, normally it's like when we're driving to the airport because we're normally flying somewhere. I will say, okay, what are what are our goals going to be for this trip? And sometimes they're behavioral, like where the my and each one of us takes a turn. And so, a lot of times they're OCD related. My son might say because he's got ARFID, avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. And so, a lot of times he'll say something related to eating and food on the trip. I'm going to try to eat things that my OCD doesn't want me to eat. Sometimes I would bring him safe foods or go to foods, and that's again living with OCD. Is I recognize that. It might be a bridge too far. We're going to this place and I don't know what he'll eat. And so I'm going to have some protein shakes or I'm going to have some protein bars in my suitcase that I know he'll eat. That's just part of living with OCD, right? Like he doesn't have to, that's not an accommodation because it's going to be a little bit too much for him or it might be too much for him. And it's more important that he eat and get calories while we're away and feel good than to starve and be like, okay, well, I'm not giving into OCD. Well, kind of is giving into OCD because OCD wants him to avoid and then he winds up starving. So just being aware of all those things and how they're going to show up. And so he'll often say something about eating. Sometimes he'll say he's going to just get along with his sister, which I really like. And then sometimes my daughter will say things about being worried about going to the bathroom or being worried about throwing up. Uh, And sometimes she'll say stuff like, I'm going to you know, get along with my brother, which I do. I love that one. <laughs> and for me, sometimes it's social anxiety related. Sometimes it's mood related. You know, I'm going to really try to be more patient with you guys if you're bickering, or I'm going to try to live in the moment. And so it's living with OCD because it's OCD is a component. It's not the be all and end all. It's like, it's part of what we do. It's part of how we become the best version of ourselves is we talk about mindfulness. We talk about, you know, anything OCD is going to ruin. We talk about our relationships and they're interchangeable because OCD is such a part of our conversation and part of our life. And so that to me is where you're trying to get to. It doesn't mean that my kids don't struggle with OCD and sometimes really, really badly, but it means that it is just one component of our life. Um, the other thing we do is exposures are just part of our life as well. And so besides incentivizing them to do difficult things, and again, back to the privilege points, it becomes very easy for me in the moment to say things like, I'm trying to think of an example. A lot of times with my son, it might be something like he's not eating and I'll notice that he's spitting something out. And then I might say, well, it looks like Squishy's really trying to get you to not eat that, which is his OCD, we personify it. And then I might say, "Um, I'll give you five points if you can eat that. Currently, I've been actually working on more of his social anxiety. And so he might want to hide from someone or he might want me to order. And I'll say, there was something he wanted me to do. He wanted me to order something. Oh, we were at the ice cream place and he wanted me to order for him. And we've been working on this. And I said, I will order for you because he's starting to stammer. I don't know what's going on with him, but he started to stammer when he's talking to people. And so I said to him, because I had put him on the spot and I had talked about this during his birthday, I put him on the spot too much and I wouldn't order for him. And then he was stammering. And it was like, I like 
pushed him too far. And so knowing how we want to push our kids where they're uncomfortable, but not where they're like off a cliff and they're flailing. And I pushed him off the cliff and he was flailing. My bad. And so I didn't want to do that to him at this time. And so I said to him, I'll order your ice cream, but I'm not going to order any extras. (laughs) So it was a built-in incentive. I was like, I'll order. If I'm going to order for you, you're just getting ice cream. You're not going to get your gummy bears or your butterfingers inside of it. And he's like, it's fine. I'll order it myself. And that was an incentive. And so just incorporating that in your parenting can be really helpful. And it's, it's not an exact science. It's like learning to read your kids and when you can push them and when you can't. But um, that can be really helpful. The other thing we do is we we used to, and I actually stopped doing this, and maybe we need to do it again. I took it off when um, we set reminders, and I t- took it off when we went traveling because I didn't want the pet sitter to have to hear these really weird echo reminders. But I set a 5 p.m. reminder to do exposures, and then I thought that's going to sound really weird when someone's staying at my house, at pet sitting, and then they're like, "It's time to do your exposure." it's time to do your exposure. I had reminders for quite a few things. And so it was like, it's time to do your homework. It's time to get ready for bed, (laughs) which it like just reduced the nagging. It was like, you know, Echo's telling you this. It's not my deal. (laughs) And then I took them off and I never put them back on. And it was really helping. And it was like, they didn't have to do an exposure if they didn't want to, but they weren't going to earn their points if they didn't. And so more often than not, they did do the exposure and I wasn't involved in it. And it became just another component of like, do your homework, you know, practice the drums. So you don't have to, if you don't want to, it's supposed to be fun and do an exposure. You don't have to, if you don't want to, but it's for your mental health and that's going to be your deal. You can't always get that lackadaisical about it, but in, you know, in the beginning, because if you are, things aren't going to progress, but when you're living with OCD and it's been part of your world for a long time, you want it to be a little relaxed and you want it to you want to convey to your kids that it is not, they're not making you happy by doing it. Um, a lot of times I'll hear, you know, kids will threaten, I'm not going to do exposures or I won't go to therapy when they're upset with you. And to me, that's an indication that they're doing it for you. And maybe it has to happen that way in the beginning, but certainly down the road, we don't want it to be like that. We want them to realize that regardless of what happens, this is your journey. It's not my journey. I'm here to support you and love you, but it's not my journey. And ultimately, at the end of the day, this is going to be your journey and your success or your struggle. And I, I wish I could change that, but it's not for me to change. It's not my journey. And so having an environment that they grow up in that is not embarrassed to talk about OCD, that incorporates it in goals and intentions, you can do a win board on things that you know they did that was a win, including their OCD, but not just exclusively OCD. And then incorporating it into your family life and lifestyle will be huge and can be huge. And that's living with OCD versus OCD treatment. So I hope that you found that helpful for a deeper dive on some of these topics. You can check out my new workshops. I'm excited about offering those to you because they're only $25 each. And so it's a nice way to just get some quick information in that way. And you can go to natashadaniels.com slash workshops to check out those. And I hope that you find the sparkle in everything you do. Don't forget to hit a star on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher to rate the podcast. I greatly appreciate that. And I'll be back again next Tuesday. Take care. 
Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 